Amen. Well, for the month of August, we're going to have a little mini-series called The Difficult Things. The Difficult Things. There are parts of our Christian faith and parts of our Christian walk which we find difficult. And we're unafraid at Vintage to go, let's talk about it. Next week, Dr. Henry Cloud, part of our community, will be preaching and teaching next Sunday on relationships and difficult conversations. Have you ever thought, how on earth do I have this conversation with someone? If you're British, you avoid them at all costs. <laughs> the week after that, Pastor Ash will be preaching on one of the most common difficulties we have is, how do I hear God's voice? How do we hear God's voice? And Ash will be teaching on that. This morning, we're looking at a difficulty, which we all have, but no one actually kind of wants to ask, because we're happy finding it difficult and not doing it. There are some things which we're quite happy to find difficult. And so this morning, we're looking at the theme, how do we tell others about Jesus? How do, on earth do we tell others about Jesus in this difficult cultural moment? How do we tell others about Jesus? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Hollywood, Marina del Rey, Santa Monica, even the Palisades. <laughs> We're to tell people about Jesus. Now, I know as well as you do that this is triggering something in our hearts going, no. I've had my own horror stories of telling other people about Jesus. I was raised in a Christian home, but in a town where no one knew Jesus, it seemed. No one at school knew Jesus. None of my neighbors knew Jesus. In fact, it was a very atheistic culture. If other people were of an, a religion, it was either Sikhism, Hinduism, or Muslim. It was a highly ethnic community that I grew up in. Loved it. All my friends. That's where my love for curry comes. I just grew up eating curry. I love it. But it was very difficult because I wanted people to know about Jesus because I found Jesus at a young age and I loved him. And he loved me and I had a relationship with him. And I wanted other people to know about Jesus but didn't know how. And the only way I knew how were like the horror stories that so sometimes churches go, we need to tell people about Jesus, so we're going to do this. It's things like <laughs> go out to the street with the worship band and the shopping areas and like do a bit of worship and then get up there and tell people about Jesus. I mean, it's the most cheesy, most discouraging. Has anybody ever done that? Amazing. Me and you, bro. We're still here. We're still here. We're still here. And for some reason, I was always, I couldn't play instruments. I was asked to do all the rest. So I'd go down there, down the street, the worship team would do their thing with their portable Casio keyboard and the portable speakers, and we would shout, you know, sing a joyful noise and things like this, and then someone said, oh, we're not looking joyful enough. We need, you know, David danced before the Lord, so maybe Gare, some of you and the other youth could dance, and it's just like, this is brutal. So I was dancing around all the time thinking, please, Lord, let no one I know see me right now. <laughs> And then, of course, we had to follow it up with someone telling people about Jesus. There'd be an inquiring crowd going, well, who on earth are you, weirdos? And then the worship team would stop and someone would have to go and like, tell the people about Jesus. And for some reason, I was only 17 and it was, yeah, you could do it. 
I remember one famous instance where I was chosen to do this. And I was actually, it was actually when I was 18, I was taking a year out before college, helping people and helping churches tell others about Jesus, because I love Jesus so much. And I was in Glasgow and working with a church called Destiny Church. And we took the worship band out to the streets and no one was listening. In fact, people were like, just getting this is ridiculous. And I was thinking, this is ridiculous. And so Barry, who was a part of the community at the church there, who was a rough, beautiful, raw Scotsman, brand new to Christianity, said, this is rubbish. No one's stopping. So leave it with me. Like, okay, Barry, what are you going to do? So in the middle of the shopping district, he went down and went to a trash can and opened the lid and took out the black bag of trash, pretty full and smelly, and tied it at the top and went out to the middle of the street where all the shops were, the pedestrian shopping area, and started to throw the trash in the air and catch it. He threw it again higher in the air and caught it. Everyone was thinking, what on earth is this guy doing? And suddenly a crowd started to gather around Barry. The biggest crowd I'd seen all day. And the more people, the higher he threw, until eventually all of the streets had stopped and surrounded Barry as he was throwing this trash bag in the air. And finally, when he realized he got the attention of the whole street, he threw the bag at once and then caught it and turned to me and said, Gare, now, now, preach, now. And I ran into the middle and preached and dispersed the crowd as quickly as Barry had formed it. I thought, this is brutal. It wasn't long after that I thought, actually, this is brutal. This is ineffective. This doesn't come across as loving people. Jesus loved us. We feel like, I feel like I'm shouting at people. No one is softening to the gospel through this. And so I suspended all of my efforts, thinking, you know what, I'm going to delegate out telling others to the experts, the pastors, or the extroverts, the crazy social weirdos. And I'm going to just get on with worship, discipleship, and Bible study. Have you ever felt that kind of opposition to, I don't know what to do about this thing called telling others? If it was difficult for me then, well, it's even more difficult now. We're living in a cultural moment where there are increasing oppositions from all sorts, from all directions, about Christians telling others about their faith. There's always spiritual opposition. We know that. We have a spiritual enemy. Jesus calls him the devil. And he doesn't like us telling other people about Jesus. But then there are unique challenges in this cultural moment. We're living in a postmodern culture where people have abandoned objective truth for their own personal understanding of truth. And so any attempt to tell others about Jesus is like, bro, good for you. That's, that's your truth. That's awesome. I'm so happy for you. But that's not my truth. Postmodernism has meant we've moved from authority structures where people take their belief from authority structures and moved it to more autonomy structures. I don't want anybody telling me what to believe, whether it's a, a pastor, a politician, or a scientist. I'll work it out myself. Thanks very much. And we've moved away from evidence to experience where we've dis, we, dis, we distrust anybody who says, I've got evidence. We've seen that over the last 18 months. We just distrust that now. We go, well, anybody can slice and dice evidence to meet their own agenda. Therefore, really, the only thing that I believe in is what I experience works for me. 
We're also living in a post-Christian culture where Christians have moved from the majority to the minority, from the center to the fringe of society. And interestingly, differently to when I grew up, Christianity has moved from the respected to the disrespected. I grew up where Christianity was seen as anti-intelligence, but you were the moral do-gooders of society. We're glad you do that thing like taking care of the poor. And you're kind of good for society, but we don't believe what you believe. Well, now it's different. We actually think you're bad for society. We actually think the problems in the society are caused by Christians. I was reading an article recently where Edward Robinson wrote a very authentic and sincere article called Christianity is Not an Option. And he explained in this article why he had turned his back on Christianity after 60 years. He wrote this. He said, to be a Christian these days is a political statement a statement that my conscience can no longer tolerate. Christianity in the 21st century America has come to represent arrogance, ignorance, bigotry, misogyny, child abuse, economic inequality, hypocrisy, and war. I'm out. Now, we know Jesus was none of those things, but people are looking at the church and going, I don't want anything to do with that. And then thirdly, there's social opposition. You know, as someone said, man, if I reveal that I'm a Christian... In my workplace, I may lose my job. I may lose my friends. I may lose people's respect. I remember when I gave up my legal career to become a pastor, I had people take me out for lunch and going, we thought you were intelligent. <laughs> it, it didn't add up because I'd been, they'd been my client and it was like, you seemed intelligent. Then there's church opposition. There's actually an opposition inside the cultural moment in congregations right now not to do this thing called telling others. And it's, if you look at it, it's, one of the reasons is because we're rebelling against kind of the seeker-sensitive movement of the 70s and 80s and 90s. We're, we're rebelling against it. The churches in the 80s and 90s became these huge megachurches where they were called seeker-sensitive. Have you heard of that phrase? Seeker-sensitive, where the pastors were so concerned about people wanting, coming to know Jesus that they made the services on a Sunday super sensitive to seekers, which, which was great in one sense, but the church then rebelled in the 2000s and the 2010s going, I'm fed up of these shallow services. I want something richer. I want something deeper. I want to grow in my faith. I don't want to come to church, listen to 10 minutes of a nice sing-song, maybe a U2 track. I then don't want to hear another sermon about how to just be your best self. I want to go deep in the Word. I want to go deep in things. And so you had these explosions of churches over the last 10 years, particularly pastors. Every pastor I went to seminary with, not one of them thought about telling others. They all wanted to go deep because of what they grew out of. And they go deep in different ways. I want to go deep in theology. So you had the Mars Hill and the neo-Calvinistic movement that sparked off in the 2000s. I want to go deep in spiritual formation which is great. I've said that in a joking way. It's not. It's great. We want to go to spiritual formation. And so you had the revival of spiritual practices, and you had the revival of following Jesus, not just believing in Jesus, which is great. Then you had the revival of kind of the neo-Pentecostal movement. People go, I want to know God's voice. I want to see his power come. And, you, so, and, and Vintage goes, let's do all of those things. But the trigger is, if we also talk about telling others, the trigger for people is, I don't want to go back to seeker sensitive. I had one person who left the church. I said, why did you leave the church? He said, well, you talked about telling others about Jesus. I go, is that all? 
He said, yeah, but I know where that goes. I know if you're going to be passionate about telling people about Jesus, you're going to change our Sunday services to shallow, seeker-sensitive. I want depth. I go, dude, I think we can have it all. But that's not our framework. Then there's theological opposition. Time and time again, I meet people today who are deconstructing and rethinking their faith, and I understand that. I went through periods of doubt and rethinking my own faith because of what maybe you see in church, the abuses, the hurts. You go, did Jesus say this? Do, Do I really believe these doctrines of the Bible I grew up with? And one of the things that we're deconstructing, and many people are deconstructing, is whether we even should tell others about Jesus. Because we're living in a culture where people elevate love above all other things and go, well, if love defines everything, isn't it loving just to accept people the way they are? As Christina says, you are beautiful in every single way. (laughs) Now, that's great that God believes that. You're made in the image of God. But it also can be pushed too far where it's like, Therefore, I've got nothing to say to you. Jesus has nothing to say to you because we just want to validate who you are in every single way and there's no need for Jesus. And so we think, I'm not too sure if I should in a tolerant, pluralistic society even share my faith with someone else. I don't want to come across as criticizing someone. Barna, which is a statistical analysis company, interviewed... uh, thousands of Christian millennials, and their results were 47% of Christian millennials, which is anyone from the age of 20 to 35, 47% of Christian millennials agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. I mean, that's a crisis around the theology of Jesus saying, go and tell everyone about me. And then there's practical opposition, right? I don't know how to do it. There's one thing if I believe in it, I just don't know how to do it. Because I don't want to do what you did on the streets, that's for sure. And in fact, someone's going to ask me tough questions and I've got no idea. Yeah, you don't know how much I don't know. And then I'm too busy. You know what? I'm just too busy trying to keep my own life together. I've got my own struggles, my own pains. I'm just, I'm just too busy to think about others. So what do we do? Do any of these battles ring true to you? And at the heart of it, we remind ourselves that Jesus says, go, make disciples, go. You're going to be my witnesses, telling people everywhere about me. And so what I want to do is look at a small passage of the Bible which has encouraged me to delight once again in telling others about Jesus. And I pray that for you too, that no matter where you are right now in the thought about telling other other people about Jesus, as we look at this passage, you may fall in love with it once again. And you may get excited and actually do it. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16, where Paul in this passage is on one of his journeys telling people about Jesus, and it's just a few verses that have helped me fall in love again with telling others about Jesus. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 16, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. 
When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, but during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The first thing is this, telling others is simply love. Telling others is all about love. Paul was going about his travels in modern-day Turkey, hadn't yet gone across to modern-day Europe. If you know your geography, Greece is on the other side of the sea right there, and wasn't thinking of going there, but God interrupted him in the night with a vision. The word here is not for a dream. It was an apt, don't know what happened, but he must have woke him up, and he had a vision of a man from Macedonia, a man from Greece, standing there begging for help, begging for help. Now, this would have been disorienting for Paul because in the first century, Greece was the pinnacle of cultural elitism. They had it all together. They had leisure, pleasure, and treasure. They had high fashion and sophisticated colleges. They had wealth, and they were the elite of cultures around the world. To anybody from afar, they didn't need any help they would be all good. Have you ever looked at someone in our city and gone, I'm not sure if they need Jesus. They seem to be fine. But God doesn't look at the outside. He hears the cries from the inside. And this is what he wanted Paul to hear as well. And so he had this man from Macedonia. We don't know how Paul knew he was from Macedonia. Presumably, he was dressed in Greek clothing So he looked like he had it all together. He looked like he was the cultural elite. But what was he doing? He was doing something that would have been viscerally emotional for Paul. Here was the cultural elite standing and doing what first century men in particular would not do, begging for help. Begging Paul for help. Help. See, on the surface, someone can look like they have it all together. On the surface, someone can look like they have got the beach house, the Tesla, and the Montana ski chalet. But God knows. We know. And importantly, they know that these really good things don't satisfy our hearts. And we still are begging for help. As we look at out at Los Angeles, we like Paul, if we take off our noise-canceling headphones, if we open our eyes, we can see people stuffing really beautiful things into their life and maybe some dangerous things into their life, all because they feel empty and they're looking for something, they're looking for satisfaction, they're looking for meaning, they're looking for purpose, they're looking for things, and then when they reach the top, when they get all the things, the, the sad news is they turn around to each other and go, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's the lie of secularism. It's the lie of marketing. It's the lie that if you get enough of this, if you get enough of that, you will be complete. 
You've heard the quote many times, Jim Carrey, who said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so that they will know that it's not the answer. Herman Bavinck, a theologian, said, the more abundantly the benefits of civilization come streaming our way, the emptier our lives become. With all its wealth and power, it only shows that the human heart in which God has put eternity is so huge that all the world is too small to satisfy it. That is my story. I fell out of love with the church when I was at college and went up to London to begin my career thinking, you know what, I don't need any of this. I'm going to pursue the life of London and all of its riches and pleasures. So I stuffed my soul with all of it, thinking actually I'll be happier this way. And I still remember the day I woke up and I just thought, Gare, stop kidding yourself. Nothing can satisfy your heart. Telling others is seeing the desperation of people and loving them, having compassion on them, wanting not to see people begging for help. When they're going through marriages that are breaking down, it's going, I know we can help. When you're saying, seeing people struggle with depression and anxiety, we know someone who can help. When you see people struggling in all these areas that we all struggle in in LA, we think, how on earth could they get through this without Jesus? It's what Jesus felt. He said time and time again, he looked at the crowds and had compassion on them. Telling others is not an an authority power trip. Telling others is humbly coming with a posture of love, saying, you've tried this, you've tried that, you're now trying this. Can I humbly suggest Jesus? And in fact, don't be scared about doing that thinking you're the only one doing that. Because actually, everyone in L.A. is doing that. Everyone in L.A. finds that they're hungry for something and they're searching for something that will really help them. And what do they do? They then tell you about it and go, you should try it too. This is the great free market of spirituality in this city. Since I've come to L.A., I've been offered advice and suggestions of all kinds of spirituality to kind of, this is really what you're missing here. This is the missing link. Whether it be Buddhism, whether it be hot yoga, as it was a few years ago, now it's bungee yoga, you know, it just escalates, right? Whether it be meditation, whether it be actually, actually just get into a place where you don't give a flying F, which is a book which the people have given me. All it says is that people are hungry. We live in one of the richest, if not, well, the top five richest cities in the world, and we are hungrier and emptier than ever. Telling others is simply having compassion on people. Going, if I found something I truly feel, is it? How can I keep it to myself? Secondly, telling others is for everyone. It's not, as I used to think, just for the extroverts or the experts. Telling others is for everyone. Now, I know you're probably thinking, oh my word, Gare, but you don't know 
I know nothing about the faith. I come and bluff my way through Sundays. I don't know any answers. In fact, I've got more questions than answers. I'm the least qualified person to kind of help other people discover Jesus. I think that's probably true. But guess what? Jesus uses unqualified, broken people more than any to tell others about Jesus. Look at Paul. Paul is traveling around, but you know what? People were discredited to him. You weren't a disciple of Jesus. You were actually a murderer. You actually tortured and persecuted the church. Who are you to be an advocate for Jesus? But Paul knew, the more unqualified I am, actually the more qualified I am because it's by His grace. It's by His power working through me. The less I make it about me, the more it's going to be about Him. And so if you're here today going, yeah, I'm just unqualified. I've got major doubts. I'm rethinking my faith. Uh, I'm not too sure I like the church. I really don't like pastors. You know, that's congratulations. God is going to use you to help others on their way to Jesus. Because actually, think about this. No one likes being told anything from someone who thinks they know everything. Have you noticed that? Doesn't that turn you off? when someone thinks they have all the answers. The disciples didn't know all the answers, and so they would simply, Andrew in particular, it says of Andrew, all he did was bring people to Jesus. I can imagine those conversations. Andrew, why are you following Jesus? What's his teaching? Yeah, it's pretty complicated. Um, You know, what is he doing going to Jerusalem? I don't know, it seems a bit crazy. Um, but, But you know what? I got questions too, but can I just introduce you to him? And that's my job. Don't rule yourself out. In fact, realize that God can use you where you are. In fact, with your doubts, with your questions, with your uncertainties, with your inexperience, you're the best person to help people that He's put you around. See, God is not a bad manager of His people. He didn't put you in a situation where you're unqualified. In fact, your unqualification qualifies you for the people around you. They need to hear that you don't have it all together. They need to hear that you make mistakes. They need to hear that you don't have all the right answers. But what they need to hear is that you love Jesus and you're on a journey. And you'd like to introduce them to Jesus too. Thirdly, telling others is easy. Now you're thinking, hang on, hang on. You just spent 20 minutes telling us why it's so difficult. The old ways of telling others are really difficult. And the cultural moment is difficult. But when I came back to church after leaving it for a few years, I fell into a church community that loved me, were gracious with me, and they introduced a way that I could tell people about Jesus. And when they told me about, this is all you do, I literally thought, oh, I can do that. If that's what you're saying, If you're not asking me to dance on the streets, if you're not asking me to go door to door, if you're not asking me to do that horrible, weird stuff, but I can do that. And those simple things they told me to do then were the most fruitful and exciting and effective ways of telling people about Jesus that I'd ever experienced in a way that I enjoyed. And so here it is. Are you ready? Here's four things that you can do. Bit of a training session this morning. 
And it's not rocket science. The first thing, be a friend to those who don't know Jesus. Love them. Be a friend. Get out of our holy huddles. Get out of our escape culture mentality and be friends. Live life with people who don't know Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He didn't shout with a megaphone from heaven. He came and lived amongst us. One of the most powerful things you can do is be the first Christian in someone's life that they respect. They may not believe everything that you believe. In fact, they won't. But they're going to be stumped. They're going to be shocked and go, hang on a minute. Christians are misogynistic. Christians are mean. Christians are political. Christians don't care about the environment or justice or racial diversity. Christians don't, I, and you're going to be the first person who truly is like Jesus and shows, yeah, we do actually care. That's why Jesus came, actually, to heal this broken world. You can be the first Christian that someone likes. I, we do something called Alpha, which is kind of our church for non-Christians. Safe place, no preaching, no judgment, just a place to explore life and Jesus in safety. I remember after week five, someone in the Alpha group, because you don't have to say anything on Alpha. At week five, someone said to me and the group, for the first time, they haven't said anything for five weeks, and the first statement was, you know what, I've been here for five weeks. And Gare, I think you're the first Christian I've ever liked. I got success. But that's where we have to start. Be a friend. Live life with people who don't know Jesus. Jesus did. That's what it means to be salt and light. You can't be light if there's no darkness. Secondly, when you're in that environment, what do you do as a friend? There's important things as a friend. You love them. Secondly, be authentic about being a Christian. Don't hide it. I'm not saying push it around, like carry a big black Bible and sing worship songs. Hey, have you heard the latest thing on K-Love? All that kind of stuff. Right? You don't do that. I learned the best thing with my friends was simply to be open about I was a Christian. And the simplest way you can do that is on Monday morning at work when people say, hey, what was your weekend like? which is what we all do on Monday at work. And we go, it was epic. You know, I went boating on the river. This is London. Boating on the River Thames. Went, you know, to a movie. Went clubbing afterwards. And then had the best time at church Sunday morning. And then went out for an epic lunch and watched the footy. And they would go, ooh, hang on. What are you, hang on. Church. I go, yeah, man. Don't you go to Church. No, I don't know, believe that old stuff. No worries, man. I won't ever push it on you, but I love it. I love my faith. Anyway, did you watch the game on Sunday? Just, now, why it's really important to do that is the next step, you're going to live out your faith around non-Christians. You're going to love enemies. You're going to be generous to the poor. You're going to fight for racial diversity. You're going to oppose the church when it's behaving badly, Right? You're going to live out what Jesus did. Remember, Jesus opposed the church when it was behaving badly. He took the whip to it, right? So all these things are valid right now. But the thing is, you need to say that you're a Christian because if you do those things they don't think you're a Christian, they're going to look at the fruit and misapply it to something else in your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, that hot yoga must be working. 
oh my word, I should do hot yoga. Or my word, you know, every Friday he does this, he walks, walks the dogs, I should get dogs. Because they'll look at your life and be curious, I want to be more like you. And if they don't know you're a Christian, they're going to misapply it. And then finally, fourthly, fourthly, so this is easy, right? You're with your friends. You've got great friends. You're doing life with them. This is awesome. The second thing is you've told them you're a Christian really subtly, and then you're living your faith out so they see the fruit of what it means to be a Jesus follower, which is quite intoxicating if you're not a Jesus follower. I'm not talking the fruit of badly behaved church. I'm talking about the fruit of Jesus, which is intoxicating. And then finally, you're going to go, okay, I think I've done all I can. I don't, they're now maybe open, curious, they're going through a tough time. I think I've done all I can. And then Vintage will give you opportunities where you can go, hey, can I bring you to church? And we've got opportunities that, for that next step where you go, can I bring you to Alpha? It's full of non-Christians, about 300 of them, who are open to talking about faith in a safe environment. Would, why don't you come with me? Why don't you come to church on Sunday? And I promise I'll do nothing weird. That's my commitment to you, right? We'll be deep Sundays, but also not weird for your friends. Or the marriage course, or parenting course. You bring them and then let the church community help you rather than just think, okay, I don't know now what to do. Now, I think that's pretty easy. And I did that in a way of, oh, really? Is, that, is it that easy? I'm going to have a great time with my friends and I'm going to just live out my faith in loving ways to the community. And then when they're hungry for something more in life, I'm going to bring them to Alpha. I'll give it a go. Every Alpha, which ran three times a year in London at the church we did, I was on the tube bringing at least two people from my work to Alpha. And they wanted to come. I wasn't like, they weren't my staff that I forced them to do it. <laughs> and finally... And this is the most important. Telling others is about love. Telling others is for everyone. Telling others is easy. But finally, telling others is great news. Is great news. You won't begin to want to tell others. You won't begin to have the courage to tell others. You won't begin to even do those little things if you don't know in your heart that this news about Jesus is so good, it's got to get out. It's got to get out. That's why in the first century it was called the gospel. The gospel was not a Christian word. It was a secular word for good news that has to get out. When Caesar would win a victory against some other territory, they would send back a messenger who would herald the good news, the gospel, that victory has been won. And so when the Christians were thinking, what's the word that we have to tell people about Jesus, that Jesus has won on the cross, they said, it's kind of like the gospel. It's kind of like what happens in Rome, but we've got even better news. That Jesus is one. That God loves everyone. That God created a universe and a world where peace and mercy and justice would reign. But 
we messed it up. We decided to get rid of God and do it on ourselves. And you know what? We messed it up. And we've been trying ever since to put it back together again. But you know what? The egg, you know, Humpty Dumpty fell on the floor and we can't put it back together. We've tried education. We've tried technology. We've tried just trying hard. We've tried hashtags. We've tried everything. And we're living in a culture that's still more broken than ever. And the great news is, the good news is, is that God still loves us. Even though we've messed up and we're doing evil to each other, God still loves us, loves us so much that he said, you can't fix it, but I'll fix it for you. It's going to cost me everything. I'll send my son, my son will come, and he will begin to unravel the pain of this world. And he will take out and he will deal with the fundamental problem, the root issue. The root issue of sin and Satan in this world, and we all have different words for that, sin or brokenness or whatever it is, but it's the reality of evil in the world. I will take it from you, he said, and I will take it to the cross and I will nail it there and it will cost me my life, but I will do this for you. And I will rise again and I will start to put in place the greatest healing, redemptive restoration movement of all time. I'll collect a people to myself who accept this great gift of rescue, and I will start using them to start putting this world back together again. You're more broken than you ever realize, but I'm more loving than you could ever imagine. And now I have the power to put this world back together. And one day, I promise, it will be finished. And it will be perfect. And the old ways have gone, and tears will go. Mourning will be over. Jesus is the victor. See, when you have that burning in your bones, you can't keep it to yourself. When you look at a dying and painful and tragic city, yearning, beloved by God, but yearning for healing, you can't keep this to yourself. It's time for the gospel to be the gospel again and for it to burn in our bones that with love and humility and respect, with gentleness, we go into a city through our friendships and invite people in. But it begins here. This is good news that has to get out. Let's stand together. I love you just to close your eyes. And wherever you are, just come before Jesus right now with whatever you're going through. And just talk to him about it. Your doubts, your questions, your struggles. But Jesus, all of our prayer this morning is to break our heart again with the gospel. What you have done for us that you have come and died for a broken humanity because you love us so much, but we are so broken. But you love us and died for us that we may be restored and healed. Ignite our hearts again with what you have done. Let it begin here. Let's worship together.